Welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I am Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal, alongside my colleague Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press, and we are going to take you through a spiritual and winding guide of Michigan State football for the next 30 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. We're we're going to uh, we're going to preview Michigan State, Washington, actually talk some uh, some football. It will be a spiritual and winding guide, though. I don't th- I don't think you're kidding about that. I think we're going to. We're here to be the elixir to the, the ills that, that are surrounding the program right now, right? There's that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we we talked earlier this week, and we did one of these to talk a lot about Mel Tucker. And, you know, look, that, that is part of this story of this game. But what's interesting, Chris, is this story, this game, this week was really an interesting week long before the Mel Tucker news. It was going to be an interesting week anyway. So much happening. Number one, it's a game that I think is – you know, beyond intriguing, it's the the game where things started to fall apart last year, and you started to realize that it was not going to be sort of a linear ascent for Michigan State football. It's it, it's a, a a team that's looking to prove itself. There's a lot of stuff in the game. Alcohol sales. You got fans oh, yeah. trying to find Peacock on streaming. You've got uh, the 2013 Rose Bowl team, which would have been a huge story this week until this happened, and so instead now it's um, all that stuff's a little bit in the background, but all of it's still happening. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be an interesting atmosphere, a, a warm and welcoming atmosphere for MSU's football team. And the question is, can they create an environment? Because if they play well, and this is a close game, and they make enough plays to excite the crowd, this could be one of those atmospheres that, that you sort of remember. Yeah, and I think, you know, Harlan Barnett was asked, you know, what's it going to be like running out of the tunnel for the first time leading the team? And, and I thought his response was maybe the most genuine thing that I've heard all week. And it was, you know what? I hadn't even thought of that yet until you brought it up. I mean, that's that's the the haze that that comes. I mean, I, I, I think I've heard D'Antonio use that term fog of war before when it comes to coaching. And and I think that's kind of you know, this the the fog is needs to lift. This is the moment where the fog can lift because it gets back to what the reality is, and that's the football program. The football program has had issues before. It's had coaches fired. It's had coaches have issues, and it's had coaches leave. And guess what? It's continued on, and Spartan Stadium has been there hosting games for 100 years through all of it. So I I am curious to see how the fans are because I I think we kind of touched on this. All the boos that were there – in the early part of the central game, in the early part of the the game last week against Richmond, I don't think there's going to be any of those. I, I think the fan base. I mean, Harlan Barnett had his radio show last night and came into a standing ovation. I think the fan base understands that whatever the issues are with Mel Tucker, everybody that's left are the ones that have to deal with the aftermath, and it's probably not going to be smooth sailing. I don't think there was going to be a smooth sailing season anyways, but certainly now uh, there's only one thing they can that fans, I think, can do, and that's kind of, I don't want to say rally around the team, but support them. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's fair because while I don't think there's going to – I think the adversity this Saturday will be football-related, right? I mean, it, it, yes. it's a challenge. I think this is a team that's been dialed in for this game for a long time. I don't think this is going to be one of those weeks – that this this group struggles to focus, but they're they're facing you know uh, 
a receiving corps that's it's it's outstanding. They're facing uh, a quarterback that's been a thorn in their side for a long time, and a team that could, even in the best of days, give them all sorts of problems. And so there are all sorts of football questions about whether they can keep pace. And let's not forget the fact that they've got some pretty serious injuries that from last week that compromise what they have in the first place. And we're talking about Jacoby Winman. We're talking about um, uh, uh, Jalen Berger here. Um, and, and Jaron so, Mangum. Yes, and Jaron Mangum. Um, so you're, you're – yes. And, and that those are the type of injuries that made a big difference last year when they went there. Um, and that's and right. So we'll see, you know, yeah, they played without Jaden Reed in that game and they, I think it was what 38, 29. Yeah. They were without Reed. They were already without Xavier Henderson and Darius snow. Yep. And it was, it was just, it was, they were out Jacob Slade, I believe too. Um, so they, they were without, they were without a lot of guys and a lot of key guys. And that defense, I don't think had even the depth that this one does. I think they're a little bit, um, in better shape to handle this, uh, than they were last year, but it's still, it's still the beginning of injuries. Now, um, I do think that the tests are going to come in different ways down the road, you know, in what is it, um, a week from now after the Maryland game, when they played four games, any player that wants to preserve that year of eligibility will have to shut it down. Now, if that player's already redshirted, again, that doesn't do them. There's some things to think about here with the, this whole idea of the transfer portal opening up to players and the, uh, the four game shutdown, if you want to prefer preserve a red shirt if you've already redshirted that doesn't matter so so that will that will matter to the kids who haven't redshirted the thing is and this, and this is where the complexity comes in with Michigan State's decision the transfer portal only opens up immediately if a coach is fired not if they Correct. are suspended so right so what's going to happen what I'm saying is when Mel Tucker is fired officially whenever that is say it's mid-October there will be 30 days and that you know What's interesting about that is you don't have to leave. Like you can jump in the portal and just keep playing, and that's what some kids will do. The other thing that's interesting about the timing in the midseason is, for most kids who haven't transferred already, the portal will open up to them again at the end of the season, so they don't have to really make that decision. It's the kids who have already used their one-time transfer that will need to make a decision within those thirty days, or at least enter the portal. So, but there will be all sorts of interesting dynamics at play. Things that chip away at the focus. You might have a coaching staff that guys are starting to keep their eyes on. Where's the next gig? Do I need to be here? Am I getting, you know, lots of things that are, are hard to keep, you know, it's hard to win in college football without really singular focus. It's the reason you get blowouts in games that are, um, you know, teams that should be evenly matched or unexpected upsets sometimes. Cause I mean, if you, you think of Missouri, Georgia last year, there is no way a hundred out of a hundred times that game should be close. And yet for like, three quarters, it looked like Missouri was going to win maybe comfortably for a while. That's what happens when one team is dialed in and the other is not. And so um, I don't think that's the issue this week, though, Chris. No, um, kind of touching on a lot of those points that you just brought up. Um, I, I I think that when we hear and, and people start pointing to some sort of mid-October date for a potential separation between Michigan State and Mel Tucker, I think they're leaving out the fact that they're could be an internal investigation that follows this. So that's because this is the office of uh, institutional equity in the title nine office in a singular event. And I, as I understand it from people there, the, the university is already starting to look deeper at Mel Tucker, which if that's the case, he'll 
continue to probably be suspended without pay throughout, I would imagine, at least the rest of the season as they go in through a HR investigation. So I don't think it's, it's necessarily a done deal that <clears throat> this will be uh fait accompli for Mel Tucker in mid-October. So that's something to keep in mind when thinking about the portal from the, the guys that are there. Back to the football side of it, I mean, you look at the stats right now, and this is where, I mean, stats can lie. And, you know, as a potential coaching candidate and former defensive coordinator once said, stats are for losers, right? Um, but, like, Michigan State right now, you know, we, we talked about the problem that they've had with Michael Penix for the last, since 2019. Um, their secondary right now is uh, fifth in the country in pass defense. That's pretty incredible. And, and, they're, and they uh, haven't played anybody better than you well, and me who well, can throw Well, just it, let me get to that. They're, they've only given up 3.43 yards per play. <laughs> but yeah. neither of those quarterbacks in, in Bert Emanuel Jr. and, and uh, Kyle Wickersheen from Richmond, neither of them had a pass over 17 yards, and neither of them tried to stretch the field, I think, beyond 25. So it's when you start going downfield that Michael Penix, you remember, I, I remember watching him beat Michi- beat Angelo Gross deep. And, and quite honestly, you could tell that Angelo Gross last year in that Washington game also was playing hurt because he was almost a, a limping gait trying to catch up to the receiver as they ran to the end zone. Um, you know, that that's, this is a different ball game. This is a different animal. You know, you think about the, the hot start that Jacoby Winman had last year uh, at defensive end and then watched him get folded into like a napkin trying to come around the edge against uh, Washington's tackles. This is Power 5 competition. This isn't the MAC. This isn't 1AA. Um, you're going to get a better test of it. You're going to get a better idea of is Nathan Carter for real? Can he overcome – can his vision and power – that he showed overcome some of the limitations that we've seen from Michigan State's offensive line in those first two games where they didn't they weren't overwhelming by any stretch of the imagination in any facet and they they really didn't in either game get much push until they started to wear down the lesser opponent that's not going to happen against the Washington that's not going to happen against power 5 competition because they've got the scholarships they've got the bodies um so you know this is the the need I think to ride that emotion, and I I don't think that this could be a I, I think this could be a blowout. Let me put it this way, but I think that the emotion that's there, and I think that if there's anybody that knows how to foster that emotion and channel it uh, into production on the field, it's Mark D'Antonio. I mean, we've seen that many years where he's been able to 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 create emotion for his players and cage the lion, if you will and release the lion at game time. Uh, so that's, I think, uh, you know, this is going to be, to borrow a phrase, fascinating uh, to see just what that impact of D'Antonio is, both from that standpoint and also from a schematic standpoint. Because, listen, I've been, I think I have been asking about it uh, all off season to Mel Tucker, to Scotty Hazleton, to all the coaches that we've, discussed things with they used a lot of four three at the end of last year and I, I was told by all those coaches well it's matchup based it's it's the things that we need to do it, it, you know against opponents that run the ball and everything else under the sun but 
This was a 4-3 program. It had been a 4-3 program for a number of years. That, to me, if Mark D'Antonio is coming in, if Harlan Barnett is taking over, um, how much do they go to a 4-3 uh, that, and do some things that aren't on paper anymore for Kalen DeBoer and his staff as they prepare? I mean, I, I'm curious, I'm fascinated to see what – I mean, I listened to Kalen DeBoer's press conference, and I'm curious how much they had to go like on the fly, go back and start preparing for Mark D'Antonio, quite honestly. I would be surprised if D'Antonio has any influence in X's and O's on this game pregame other than, you know, maybe a suggested this or that or whatever a little bit. And and maybe in-game if he's talking to Barnett about an adjustment or something. I think if there is going to be any um, any influence from D'Antonio on that, it will be in the, the coming weeks when he's been around the staff longer, maybe coming out of the bye week. Um, the, the thing that's interesting is there are some dynamics, you know, Scotty Hazelton, Jay Johnson, uh, Chris Kapilovich. Um, I mean, these guys are all guys who could have been the interim head coach. Um, and I even suggested Courtney Hawkins. Like so, but when was you know Kapilovich is the is the um, assistant head coach now or coming into the you know the game? You got two coordinators, and so I wonder what their feelings are on it. Now Harlan Barnett, Barnett makes a ton of sense. Uh, for this role right now, given his how much Haller trusts him, his relationship with the program, what you need in terms of, I mean, in, in some ways, right now with everything going on, you need your coordinators focusing on what they're doing, and you know, it, it, it's Barnett is might be better in that role overseeing everything. Um, but you, if you if this has been Scotty Hazelton's defense and it's a collaboration, but then. To, you know, to come in and meddle right real quick, I just, I just think you got that's a dynamic you want to be careful of. And the reason I, I think D'Antonio will read that correctly is one, he won't be asked to do more. They, they've been game planning before he even got there for Washington. The other thing is, he has been what I think is the perfect retired coach in a lot of ways. Um, you know, Judd Heathcote used to talk about the re- one of the reasons he, you know, you go to Spokane uh, after you retire is you leave. You know, Tom Izzo alone to do his thing. You're not hanging over him. Now it turned out Tom Izzo was, you know, a bigger name coach and better coach than Heathcote was. But you, you give somebody space. Uh, what what D'Antonio has been is supportive. He was there for watching his own guys as they get, turned the ball over seven times and lost to Rutgers in, in the COVID year. He's been around the program a lot. He's been supportive of Tucker. He's been golf outings. He's been fundraising. He's been playing that role and enjoying it. And sort of this uh, coach emeritus that people appreciate and love and and has done it really well he's understood I think that balance of being around somewhat but you, you've had your time and, and I think understanding how he's done that he'll understand a little bit how to do this that's my guess yeah and you know quite honestly I, I the I think one thing that might prevent the a, a shift to more four three because listen they they use some they've been dabbling with four three even this year, um, because they've had some depth at linebacker and some strength there with Brule and Winman and Halliday and Jordan Hall, but if they don't have if they don't have Jacoby Winman, um, that kind of limits the ability to maybe try and and do that a little more. But the the reality too is that they've got to stop the pass. So maybe you do load up. I don't know. It, it, it's going to be interesting to see 
to me because I do think that there are some philosophical things. I mean, when Scotty Hazleton was hired, he talked about having to coming in and playing more four three, but they haven't done that. And the four two five, it it's felt like it was an insistence from Tucker, quite honestly. Like Tucker was a four two five guy and he that was his philosophy to shut down the pass, reverse reverse the things that Mark D'Antonio would try to do where you instead of forcing guys to the outside in coverage, what D'Antonio did, they tried to force him to the inside in the four two five with the extra D back. So I you know, it you're right, it's it, it's it's probably a little too far in the game to have a full scale philosophical change. Uh but at the same point, I think back to when uh, Duffy Doherty went to what the the wishbone against Michigan the one year, and they had no idea, they didn't expect it. Um, I don't think you can discount different kind of things coming out of this game than anybody expects. Just, I mean, what what do they have to lose at this point? You know, what's you know, and if you trust the players to to implement it, which is a, a big thing, and this that's I think. Staff continuity right now in certain areas is is important. You mentioned about Kapilovich. The offensive line has struggled and, and hasn't looked great. I mean, they've kept Noah Kim clean, but they haven't really done much in the run game. So it makes sense to keep him focused on that to improve that. Yeah, I think the line is a bigger story coming into this game. I, I So, I, I mean, to me, um, well, a couple things. We're going to find out a lot about Noah Kim and that passing game, which you know at times in the last three halves has looked really potentially uh, very good. I mean, one of the more impressive things is uh, is that he does use so many receivers. He does go to the open guy. Uh, you are going to reach a point, I think, where you know the best are going to have to rise to the crop. You haven't been in a really a game where that mattered yet, and so there's going to have to be some separation in that group. There's going to have to be guys he's more comfortable with and big moments and other things like that. But or maybe not. I guess uh, I, I just I do wonder like what you know when when they get late in in, in close games, who are going to be the three guys on the field? And I don't know that they know that yet. You know because I mean they they've got some veteran guys who and, and Mosley was a lot better in the last game and I think he'll be one of them. But some of those young guys have really shown a ceiling that that maybe some of the older guys don't have as much. Um, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see where that goes. Like, is, are, are Glover and Henry, you know, among your top three eventually? You know, and that, and that, what does that, what does that mean for for them? And but in in this particular game, like, is 15 straight completions? Like, I'm not sure Peyton Thorne had that in him against anybody. That said, he probably did it once, and I just don't have the stat. But yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know that. So now we find out a little bit. Like, can he get in that sort of groove? Against really good competition, I'm not saying 15 straight, but you know what I mean. Where, where I, I think he, Michael Penix completed 20 straight in, in 2019 against MSU. That's true. Yeah, no. And but the, back to your point about the line, I the the one red flag out of the first two weeks was that, and they haven't been able to get the tough yards. I think they've got a bona fide, you know, top running back in Nathan Carter. But if you're without your backup and your 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 number two, three and four is both fumbled. Um, you know, you're going to have to put a lot on Carter in this game. And, and look, it's early enough in the season. He may be healthy enough. You know, the, he may be able to handle the, the lion's share, and that, that may be okay. Yeah, and uh, and, and he's still a running back who last year at, at a group of five school got knocked out in, in his power five competition and missed the rest of the season. I mean, that, that shoulder separation that he had against Michigan, I mean, that's, you know, he's a sophomore. I mean, that, but that's 
that's the shift in in going from lower division competition to the the power five guys that they face on the other side. They're going to hit harder. They're going to hit more frequently. You're going to get hit by more guys. Um, and if you don't have a number two running back, I mean, that's that's a problem. I mean, you know, you saw Berger leave the field with, I don't know if it was a shin or a calf or a high ankle sprain, um, but it was enough that he didn't play the rest of the way. I mean, we don't know his status on him. Mangum had to be helped off the field. He was already questionable. Uh, Jaron Mangum, the running back, he was already questionable going into the Richmond game and got hurt during a drill in, pre, in pregame and had to have his arms around two guys to, to go off the field. That didn't look good. Um, so if you're looking to improve a run game, uh, and you know, like you mentioned with with uh, Jordan Simmons coming in late to spell Carter and then fumbling the ball that was returned for a touchdown, and then Davion Prim fumbling in the short field that was that turned into the other touchdown. I mean, that's that's a question mark, and that's, I mean a big question mark because I don't know if Nate Carter can take a full sixty minutes of pounding from a Power Five team. And here's another thing when we talk about the offensive line and and kind of going back to the D'Antonio thing. This is a program that has not that that went completely away on the offensive side from all the things that Mark D'Antonio preached for many many years in terms of ball control, minimizing how much your defense is on the field to keep them fresh, grinding down the other team. This is a team that even against Richmond and Central Michigan 27 minutes and 52 seconds of possession time. They rank 103rd in the country after facing Central and Richmond. That's not going to get it done at the Power 5 level because that's going to continue to get less and less and less as we saw last year, and opponents are going to grind the defense down. So this is, I mean, that's another area where we may say that D'Antoni is not going to have an impact in game planning, but the philosophy like that is something where he can be like, we got to control the line. We need to do this. This is, and I think what's important to me, and it, I'll go back to the 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 statement that Mark D'Antonio made somewhere in like 2018 that he didn't have a Rolodex of offensive coaches, right? But he certainly had, as a defensive guy, a vision for what he wanted an offense to do to help his defense. That's something that I think that he can help Harlan Barnett with because Barnett has not had that ability. And he even talked about trying to get to know the offensive guys on the team. But I think that's where D'Antonio can come in. And he, even though he doesn't have offensive experience, he has an idea of what you need an offense to do to play winning defensive football. And that's the things that Michigan State has kind of gotten away from over the last four years. No doubt. Again, he's coming in on a, you know, Monday, Tuesday of, of a game week. You know, they're already, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't think D'Antonio's influence is going to be, and, and it'll be interesting to see what Barnett wants from him in that sense and what sort of, I think D'Antonio is there more to be a, a head coach whisperer than he is a, uh, you know, formation talker. I, I you know, this, absolutely. This but the, he's going to be whispering to Harlan Barnett and, Harlan Barnett's going to be all ears. Is my point. Yeah, you know, and then yeah, no, no, there, there, there may be great influence. I'll, that'll be that'll be certainly a dynamic to watch, um, and and maybe there are things that Hazelton would have liked to have done that, that right. weren't Mel Tucker's philosophy, and that we may see that now too. And so there's lots of um, things we don't we, we don't really know yet, and and you know it's it, it's interesting because they're going to face you know they face two really um, prolific quarterbacks these next two weeks. 
Yeah. And then they go face a, a, a different style in Iowa. Um, and, and so that'll be, um, you know, the, you, you, we're going to see in the next three weeks going into the bye, sort of every element uh, of this Michigan State football team and how they're tested and who they are and what they can adjust to. Um, and, and, you know, this week I think a big thing is, you know, Dylan Tatum said last Saturday before everything hit the fan that Ben but don't break is part of the way you do this. Yeah. You use those terms, and people hate that. But against Washington, he's absolutely right. Like, you are not going to shut Michael Penix down. You are not going to win this game 14-7. And you're going to – if Michigan State's offense does not score 30 points, they are as big a culprit in losing as the defense. Like, you have to score 30 in a game like this, I think. I don't think there's any way around that unless you're able to really force a number of turnovers or something like that. And 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 that's okay. So, which this defense has not been able to do. That's right. not, that hasn't well, been a thing. I mean, these first, even these first two games. I mean, we talk about the interceptions. I mean, they had the secondary had one interception last year. They didn't pick off Penix. They picked off, uh, they picked off C.J. Stroud and ran it back for a touchdown. That was the only defensive back interception. To the other side of it, though, I in doing some research, Washington hasn't had much success in picking off passes either. So. That's, I mean, that's, you know, weakness against weakness, I guess, maybe in that respect. Well, and here's the thing about Washington to remember. This is two years removed from four and eight. Like, this is not, like, they're 16-point favorites in this game. And that is a lot of points, and they have the, the offensive punch to cover that. However, this is, there are like, three or four teams in the country that physically could give MSU maybe the problems that would justify a 16-point road spread. Washington does not have better talent in the trenches and throughout the depth of talent throughout the program. This is not, there's not been time to do that in the program. This is not, that's not how this works. The, the, you know, when Michigan State went 11 and two, two years ago, Michigan State was no better in a lot of areas and worse in some than they are today. You have certain dynamics on offense that allow that to happen. Right. And, and, and they had Kenneth Walker, they had two great receivers part of the season and, you know, Washington has those dynamics on offense. But this is not to expect a team to come on the road and win by sixteen. Yes, it could happen, but physically, this isn't that mismatch. That's a crazy, crazy line to me. Do you think that if all things were equal and it was still status quo and Mel Tucker was in place, that it would have been double digit? No. Well, no. Yes, it would have been. It was sixteen before, like on on DraftKings, it was sixteen before Mel Tucker got the line has not moved since the beginning of last week. So Mel Tucker was worth zero to the Vegas spread. <laughs> which isn't uh, great for Mel, but uh, maybe the most indictment. No, I'm not going to say the biggest indictment. I, I mean, it's George still this is still spread. a team that that went out there on the road last year and lost by nine, right? Because they came back and see that's the thing about a spread. Like you're at home too. Like that was a game that wasn't close until the fourth quarter. They put up some, um, you know, they they they, they got right. some things back. That's yeah. The, the 16 point spread is is is. I'm not going to advise people to you know fans to bet something that they could lose, but I'll say this. If you're going to bet this game one way or another, I would tell you to bet the Spartans in this one because it, it just 16 points on the road. Like if MSU's ever a 16 point road favorite, don't touch it unless it's like just some god awful team. You know, um, this by the this by the way is a great example of which one of us is the degenerate gambler and which one of us has three kids. I don't even know how to log into Sportsbook. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. The um, I don't know what you're talking about. The uh, anyway, um, but no, I, look, I think. I think this week is is, and I think this defense this week just has to 
you know, they've got to make Michael Penix uncomfortable. They have to. Boise State really failed in that, and they have to make because he will pick you apart otherwise, and and it's hard to do because uh, Kalen DeBoer's offense is terrific at sort of countering what you do. Yeah. In 2019, Michigan State's defense was was still a pretty good unit, and it felt like there was a, a immediate counter and answer quickly for everything they threw at um, when he was at Indiana, everything they threw at them. And and that's one of the challenges in facing them, that they keep him upright. They keep him from getting hit. They have a counter that's quick. DeBoer is, is, is terrific at this. Uh, Penix has been fantastic in that offense. Um, and and now and they have the, the parts around him. But you've got to make him as uncomfortable as you can. You've got to create a turnover or two. And you've got to get off the field somehow on – some key third downs because that gives your offense then a chance to keep pace. And then the offense is going to have to put up points above 30 to give you a a real shot in this game. And and I think the one thing that MSU benefits from here uh, uh, on the defensive side is its defensive line is good. And, And I think it's deep and I think it's full strength. You know, we may say the Winman injury is big because that gives you another pass rusher uh, off the edge but I, I think the the front four, in, in particular, need to get some some push. Uh, there's no question about that. Making making things uncomfortable for them, whether it be up the middle with Barrow and Hanson and those guys uh, and Harmon and Sammy, because uh, they got some depth there, which they didn't have last year uh, out at Washington due to the, some of the injuries. They've got. Remember that Washington game, I believe, was when they lost Jeff Petrosky in the first half. So they lost their starting defensive end in that game. And then, you know, you already were compromised. Uh, and, you know, that's uh, they're they're healthy on the edge. They've got more edge guys. Um, you know, Brandon Wright, I think, has been playing a lot more snaps than I would have thought he would. But it makes sense because they need more of a speed guy in space. And and I think that he's a guy that, you know, he needs to play a big game and a big role coming off the edge. And he might be the backup, but he's got the speed as a former running back to to chase guys that particularly Penix, you know, Penix is fleet of foot. And, you know, with that, and and this is, here's one for you, Graham, because I, this teams don't face many left-handed quarterbacks. So everything's flipped. So I, you know, who's going to be the guy that's going to chase him on the blind side versus who's going to be chasing him on the front side, I think is going to be, um, you know, kind of interesting to see. But I think that's at least where Mark D'Antonio's experience comes in because he's already game planned for him once. So at least, you know, it's not like he's coming in blind to this. He, He was the head coach when they played Indiana in 19. So he knows... I mean, there there are little tiny things that he can provide insight on for sure, like like that, like how do you how do you go after the the left hander a little better than than maybe Michigan State did last year. Look, D'Antonio is a great story; he's an emotional lift. It'll be interesting to see how people feel about him being there. I think they were smart. To, I mean, you, you don't want to overstate his presence. He's not the head coach. The staff right. has been there doing good work, um, you know, and and, and trying to, to to build this thing. He hasn't been a part of that. In a lot of ways, the program is where it is because where D'Antonio left it, too. These guys have had to do a lot of work because the program was not at a great spot. And the the depth of talent in the program wasn't a great spot. But there was talent. I, that's the thing. is like We say the depth of talent wasn't there, but how many of these guys still are his? 
Noah Kim, Simeon well, Bear, Simeon they, Barrow. Yeah, they weren't devoid of it. They weren't devoid Cal of it Halliday. Entirely, I mean, but this is this is my point though. Is like there are a number of guys that are his recruits still playing, even with all the transfers. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, your Cal Hallidays and Halliday and Barrow and uh, Noah Kim as the starting quarterback, the offensive lineman with Samak and Duplain. Um, I believe Spencer Brown might have been one of his last classes as well. There's a number of guys that never got a chance to play for Mark D'Antonio who now see him around the building. So there's we could say that there's he's not going to have a, a maybe a tangible impact in the game planning but he's got there's there's reasons why he can have an impact outside of that quite honestly i mean that i mean there's but again back to the i mean there wasn't the depth there's no question the depth of talent wasn't there um but the the reality though is there was talent there and there there had been talent there and there even in the last four years with Mel Tucker, all the things that I've heard people saying about how badly they left the cupboard bare, a lot of those guys that were still playing major roles were guys that D'Antonio brought in. Like I, I, ne- I never, I never really fully liked that narrative that was being well, pushed by the program that D'Antonio left the cupboard bare. He, it, it was very low stock, no question, but there was talent there. Just look at some, but a lot I mean, of just look at Simeon left, Barrow and Cal Halley. Those guys weren't no doubt. those guys weren't no doubt, highly but, recruited guys, and they they had them. That was the formula that D'Antonio had for his entire career. But he had lost steam in the in, in no covering doubt. those yes, guys. Yes, and, and and they you know the, the look the the number of guys who transferred to the Akron's of the world and 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 and, and lower divisions, and that's some of what happens when you transfer and something doesn't work out. There's less interest in you, but um, and. Some of the careers that they had in those places, I, it was you know a little telling of, of some of the evaluations that were going on versus maybe the evaluations that were happening a few years earlier or the well, types of players. Well, they were I, getting. I'd counter that argument with how many Division Two guys did Mel Tucker bring in as transfers? That's uh, you know you know I mean football players are everywhere. It's how you who fits in your your program and formula best. There's no question that Mark D'Antonio's at his peak, like the 2010 class, was. As good as anything Alabama will ever bring in. I mean, it, it just wasn't rated that high. I mean, there's an argument that after 2010 Michigan State class, that 24-7 and rivals should have shut down, that on three should never have began, <laughs> that there was enough ineptitude there that, that it's like, well, wait a second. How does the best class in the country not get rated in the top 20? And and, and are we what, what are we doing here? And, and again, I'm just I'm just messing around here because obviously most more often than not, five stars and four stars do – uh, translate to to wins and losses, but um, yeah, but but here's a here's their, a good but best, here's a, they were in, but here's a good go a good counter to that. Mel Tucker brings in Ma Naoteote as a four star recruit, and Cal Halliday is the one who's been the star linebacker, you know. And they had to go get transfer guys who had proven themselves in Brule and Winman, you know. I mean, it's about evaluation, and it doesn't necessarily mean just looking at rivals and on three and 24 seven to see the, Oh, let's count these stars. I mean, you got to have the evaluation down on, on how a guy can fit. And I'm, you know, it's an argument whether or not that the Mel Tucker and his staff had that. I mean, who's, who's played above their, their grade. And that's, 
And and again, that's and that goes to the NFL too. Because how many how many teams? Why do teams win in the NFL? It's not it. Yeah, you need those first round picks to to hit and all that. But it's what are you doing with the undrafted free agents and your scouting? You know, I mean, there's more impact. I think there's a lot of impact undrafted free agents that just go by the wayside that turn into champions and turn good teams into championship teams. The Mel Tucker year is over. The Mark D'Antonio re- redux is going to be brief. Um, I don't think if Alan Haller, or, or, if Harlan Barnett gets this job uh, a, a full, you know, full time, if this goes really well, that that D'Antonio is likely to be part of the staff uh, long term. But this is this is Barnett's chance, and it'll be um, an interesting eight weeks, ten weeks, because I think if it, I think if anything is going to happen in, in that realm, we would know it at a certain point, and Michigan State would make that call by mid-November. Um, you don't, yeah. you're not gonna, you, you, so it, it's not really a 10 week audition. It's more of an eight week audition. I would think, you know, coming out of the Ohio state game, no later than that would be the time you make that call. And, um, and I think we'll all sort of know it because if this goes well, if they're better in the next couple months than they are now, if, if it feels like program momentum that was begun under Mel Tucker with the staff is the, is, is continuing with Alan, uh, with, uh, Harlan Barnett and the staff, then you go ahead and, 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 and you, you have to give him some serious consideration, but you also have to decide what's what's best for the program three years from now. Um, I, I don't think anybody is doubting that what's probably best for the program right now is Harlan Barnett. I don't think anybody's not behind him and hopeful. Everybody likes him. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, but, you know, you've also got to show it on the football field. And, and, and I know, like, people say, well, he wasn't very good as the defensive coordinator at Florida State. Um, and you know the secondary had been great at Michigan State, although he was the uh, defense co-defense coordinator. Some very good defenses at MSU, and he was uh, the um, secondary coach. Some great secondaries yeah. at, at MSU. But I would also say this: there are a lot of head coaches who are, are, are coordinators who aren't great head coaches. There are a lot of head coaches who are great at that. And we're going to learn about Harlan Barnett real quick. And he doesn't get the longest audition in the world. This isn't the way you'd want to build it. But he's getting an opportunity that a lot of coaches don't get. Well said. I mean, this is this is his chance, and you know we can talk all we want about if or what D'Antonio has, and I do think that it's just you know ten, eleven weeks of football for him, uh, and back to back to the retirement, back to the golf course, back to his summer summer hopping from camp to camp. But I do think that if there's anything that that guy wants to do and why he's coming back it's to try and preserve the legacy that he built over those 13 years and yeah what that means whether it means harlan barnett long term whether it means helping find the next coach i will see but i'm sure that that's in his mind is getting things closer to where he left them um which maybe you know i mean as much as that 18 and 19 season were downturns, um, the program has taken a radical shift away from where it was uh, when he had the command of it. Be an interesting Saturday. Um, you Fascinating, some would say. Fascinating. Yeah. You can drink at the game if you need it, and if you, you may need the booze. Um, you know, the, the 2013 Rose Bowl team will be there. D'Antonio, obviously, will. Uh, yeah, he was going to be there we'll, anyways. We'll, We'll, we'll be there uh, for that. The game is on Peacock. You can download or you, you can stream that. It's not the end of the world. I know it's not great because not as many people will see it, 
It, it's it's a shift, but it's where we're it's where we're headed. And and I would say this: if Michigan State ever has a volleyball practice facility, or if they're ever able to move their softball and baseball field so they don't flood every year, so those student athletes have a better experience, Peacock is part of that. You can call it the NBC Peacock uh, volleyball practice facility. This is the media rights deal at work, and this is the cost of that. You know, they need fans to subscribe. They need. Uh, this is this is part of what the cost of being a fan is going to be from now on, and um, you're on the Peacock payroll, man. You're on the Peacock. What's that? You're on the Peacock payroll. Well, I am a Premier League fan. I am a fan of yeah. New Girl and The Office and Chicago PD, and all of those things are on Peacock. Yes, I am a Peacock. I'm on the, I appear to be on the payroll. Man. I'm just saying, I, I watch a lot of Peacock. You're a and, regular um, Brandon Tartikoff over there. <laughs> so it's not the it's not the worst streaming service in the world. And um, it's uh, you know it, it, they do a good job with the Premier League soccer. We'll see if it, how how it goes over time uh, with the uh, with the football. Um, we will have as we've had all week, and we'll continue to have complete coverage at lsj.com, at freep.com, at greenandwhite.com. We will be back next week, um, and uh, we'll break this down early in the week. You can rate, subscribe, uh, you know, whatever. Just uh, you know, leave us a review that that's kind if you would, and. Um, This has been a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. We'll talk to you soon.